0: I'm excited for what we are going to be in this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, make your way to the Gospel of Luke. Luke is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. We are in Chapter One still of Luke, and uh, we are in a series called "Tell Me the Story of Jesus." And if you haven't been here in a couple weeks, uh, Jesus hasn't been born yet, so we're getting to that point. We'll uh, we'll get there next week, uh, but we are building up the story. Luke is taking approach as a historian. And it's building the story of Jesus so we can understand everything leading up to the birth of our Savior. And we'll walk through the Gospels together, to kind of put them together to get this incredible portrait and picture of the life story ministry of Jesus and how that is meant to impact our life. But like I said, we'll be in Luke chapter 1 this morning. We're going to begin in verse 57 here in a second. But as we begin, we're we'll get our minds kind of working. I know we just finished praising, but... Um, I want to do a little group activity, and I'm not going to give you group participation points or anything like that. And uh, I'll tell you, there, uh, I would say there's not a wrong answer, but there probably is. And um, but Don't let that scare you or keep you from participating. So here's, here's the, our opening question. When you think about the Bible, what comes to your mind? Jesus. The Word of God. Truth. When you think about the Bible, what comes to mind? Comfort. Love. Guidance. It's hard to hear those back row Baptists back there, Sarah, I'm sorry. Daily bread. Faith. I need to study more okay personal application all right what's that forgiveness. forgiveness good all right finish this statement now second second participation the bible is what's what terry god's true word perfect the way The Bible is God calling our attention. (laughs) I'm sorry. It came from this area. The calling. calling. Yeah, all right, there you go. All right, now some homework. Okay, ready? I'm going to give you homework from the beginning because I know sometimes we get closer to lunchtime, our minds go other places. So here's your homework for this next week. I'm not going to grade it, don't worry. But... um, I want all of us this week to take the challenge to read Psalm 119. I just a heads up, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible, so it's going to take you some time to read it. And I want to encourage you to try to do it in one sitting. But I don't want you to just read it. I want you to open up the scriptures to Psalm 119 with a pen or pencil in hand, something to write with, and I want you to answer these questions as you read this. What does this say about God's word? How does the writer view God's word in their life? How does the writer of that psalm view God's word in their life? So Psalm 119, what does it say about God's word and how does the writer view that psalm in their life? One thing we have to remember when we open the Bible, the Word of God, we are opening a book of God's promises. And we are all a part of God's promises. Some of God's promises are directly related to us. Some of God's promises are promises that we are to learn from. And some of God's promises are promises that we are to live in hope and in faith for. Our focus this morning, as you can see behind me, is God's promises or the promises of God. The Bible dictionary defines the promises of God as God's announcement of his plan of salvation and his blessing to his people. Our passage this morning in Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80, and we're not going to really spend much time with verse 80, but I wanted to finish out the chapter, um, just kind of my neuroticness. But um, our passage is filled with the promises of God. And so we're going to read through it, and then we're going to point out some of the promises, and then we're going to see what these promises are to create in our life as we worship, as we follow, and as we live for God. So let's read the scripture, and we'll begin in verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zachariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made sign to his fathers, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open, his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then shall this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Verse 67. And his father, Zachariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, The oath that He swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him with fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness into the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's pray one more time together. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promises. I thank you for just being able to gather again physically with our brothers and sisters in Christ, knowing that we are in your holy presence in this moment because the promise your word gives us. And Father, we come before you because we are a people who need to be changed and transformed by you. We need to be molded more into your likeness so we can be the salt and light. We need to be in this world that is hurting. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit move in a great, mighty way. You remove me from this equation. Just let me be an instrument of your righteousness, that your Spirit would speak through me, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, as well as all my brothers and sisters in Christ here this morning. Again, Lord, I pray that you alone be glorified, that you, your kingdom and your will alone would be done in this place. And so lead us to where we need to be before we leave this place. Praise pray all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in this passage, we're going to walk through it real quick, and then we'll go back and, and look at some application. This passage is filled with promises fulfilled. It's filled with covenants fulfilled, prophecies fulfilled, and promises to be fulfilled. The first promise we encounter actually begins in verse 38, or verse 58. It says, And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. This is the promise that the angel Gabriel had given Elizabeth back in verse 14 of the same chapter, when he told her, And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. This promise in verse 58 is taken from a promise given nine months before Elizabeth would bear John as her son. And Luke implies that during this nine-month period, Luke or Elizabeth had been remained in solitude. She had her own stay-at-home order until she waited for the promises of God to be fulfilled. And so there's a simple lesson there. Sometimes the promises of God don't happen that moment when we receive the promise. Sometimes it takes a little time before we see the fruition of that promise. The second promise deals with the covenant in verse 59. It says, On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. The act of circumcision for the Jewish people was a mark of covenant spoken to Abraham in the book of Genesis. John was marked by the promise that God would be his God and John would belong to God. The act of circumcision was a covenant of allegiance between God's people and God himself. The third promise we catch is in verse 64. It says, and immediately his speaking of Zechariah, mouth was open, his tongue loose, and he spoke, blessing God. This promise again was given back in verse 29 or verse 20 of the same chapter. When Zechariah struggled to believe what Gabriel told him that he would have a son in his old age, Gabriel said, Well, you are going to be mute until the birth of your child. In verses 67 through 69, we have what is known as the benedictus. That is a Latin word. It means to bless or blessing. So we talked about last week, to bless God is to worship God. It is to praise God. It is to give God thanks for all that He has done and all that He is. In Zechariah's worshiping of God, it is founded on promises. First, he worships God and God's promise to fulfill the Davidic covenant in verse 69. The Davidic covenant was given to David is when God spoke to David and said, From your family, someone will always sit upon the throne. Zechariah was recognizing that Jesus, the Messiah, was the fulfillment of this covenant given thousands of years before Jesus would even be born. In verse 70, Zechariah praises God because of the prophetic promises fulfilled. The book of prophecies in the Old Testament from Isaiah to Malachi. All of the books in some way or another point to the coming Messiah. Even in the midst of God's people being in captivity, living in uncertainty, undergoing persecution and rebelling against God himself, God promised in the midst of all of that, that he would come and redeem and rescue, deliver his people, which is now unfolding in the books we know as the Gospels. The word Spoke in verse 70 can also be read as promise, as he spoke or as he promised by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. In verse 72, we have another promise fulfilled through the unfolding of events. God was going to show mercy. This would be epitomized in Jesus Christ. Mercy is an action taken by the strong towards the weak, the rich towards the poor, the insider towards the outsider, those who have towards those who have not. God's word is letting us know that Jesus Christ is God's promise of mercy. Romans chapter 5 verse 6 says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's the mercy of God promised here, which Zechariah is worshiping about. The Bible says that we begin as sinners and enemies of God. But by the mercies of God, we become saints, children of God, adopted into the eternal kingdom. This is the loving promise found in Jesus Christ that we can be reconciled and brought back into harmony with God himself. In verse 73, Zechariah praises God for the promise of the Abrahamic covenant, which was given back in Genesis chapter 17 and chapter 22. Finally, Zechariah praises God for the promises yet to be fulfilled or the future promises in verses 78 through 79. This entire passage from verse verse 57 to verse 79 of chapter 1 is all about the promises of God and the results of God's promises are to bring into our life. And so what are they bringing into the people's lives that we can learn from? God's promises are the fuel for our joy. The entire text reveals this. Elizabeth The neighbors, the relatives, Zachariah himself was fueled with joy because they were seeing the fulfillment of God's promises or his word in their life. So when we began, when I think about the Bible, I think about joy should be one of those answers. When I think about the word of God, I should have joy when I think about what is in here. And we have to understand joy is not Happiness. Joy, spiritual joy, is not based upon circumstances. The word joy can also be read in Scripture as the word blessed. It's not based upon circumstances, but it's founded on Christ, which is founded in the Word of God. In the past couple of weeks and maybe months now, I mean, it's all a blur, isn't it? I mean, Christmas is coming, man, I tell you. I'm ready. Right. For the past couple of months, I, I developed a very bad habit i'll i wake up in the morning and and i i've watched more news in the past couple of months than i think i've watched ever <laughs> um and part of it I, I think we should be informed i think you should watch the news i think you should be aware of the news sources you're watching um twitter facebook instagram if myspace is still a thing that's not good news um, but my bad habit is this i would i would Wake up, and I'm the morning person in our family, so I'm always up before anybody else. Sometimes Abby beats me, but um, I'll get up, I'll get the coffee going. I'll let her. We have a little dog named Charlie that just can't wait to get up with me, so I have to let her out, and um, I'll go and get the coffee going, and I'll pour my coffee. And here's my bad habit: it's not the coffee. Oh, praise Jesus for coffee. Um, I would go and sit in front of the TV, and I grab the remote and I turn the TV on to the news. And I would sit there with my coffee, and I would drink my coffee, and I would watch the news. And you, this may be a habit you have, and I want to encourage you to change this habit this morning. Again, not that the news is bad, but what I found is I was watching news so much because things were changing all the time. I mean, not just because of the pandemic, but things were changing all the time. People were changing their decisions on what was happening. I mean, can you remember three months ago they told us not to touch anything? And now it's not gone by services. So we wasted a lot of hand sanitizing wipes, right? I mean, they told us that at one time this virus began in China in a lab, and then they said it wasn't, and then it was man-made, and then it wasn't, and then it was. They told us that you should always wear masks, and now it's okay if you don't. And uh, I mean, things are changing because people didn't understand the nature of this virus that is going around, and I think we should be smart about it, and that's why we're kind of spread out along this. But I'd be sitting there with my coffee, and I would start my day watching these news of these hypothetical situations and these hypothetical truths and what people are trying to figure out. And I noticed in my own heart and my own mind, I was getting just as discouraged as the rest of the world. I was getting frustrated, and I was getting angry. It was impacting my heart. It was impacting my relationships. It was impacting my family. It was impacting, you know, what I wanted to do when I even had, you know, why do anything? Why get out of my sweats today type of thing? And so I made the change, and this is the change I made. I didn't stop drinking coffee, but instead of grabbing the moment, I grabbed God's word. And I wish I could say that that change happened because, you know, I, I wasn't stubborn. But that's not the reality. The reality is, see, when this whole thing started, and we had stayed home, and schools didn't go back after spring break, my routine didn't really end. I mean, I kept doing the same thing. I'd wake up early. I would leave the house about 7 30 which was when i would normally drop off the kids and i would come here to church and i'd be here for a while and 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 i would do what god needed me to do for this week and so my my routine of the day didn't change which thank you jesus because i love routine you remember last week i love to have a plan and that plan to work but one thing did change is jamie was home because she's a teacher and so when i'm here i'm here for a while and i and i sit a lot i mean craig you probably know well i don't know do you sit a lot you seem like a mover. <laughs> I would sit a lot and read a lot, type a lot, write down stuff a lot. And so about 10 o'clock, all that sitting and writing and typing, I needed to get up and move. And so I typically do a couple laps through the hallways. I didn't touch anything, so don't worry. I would, just, I would dodge stuff and move in and out. But I would call Jamie because she was home. And I would have this conversation with her and say, so what have you been up to? What are you doing? And it's about almost 10 o'clock on the dot every time. And she said, well, I just finished my morning Bible reading and I just finished my cup of coffee and I'm just kind of relaxing in bed. And I want to preface that. It's not that Jamie sleeps until 10 o'clock. Okay. Um she's not a morning person, but she's she's not sleeping till 10. The problem is you probably don't need to know this, but just so you can have some inside information. I'm a coffee gulper. Is anybody a coffee gulper? Is anybody a coffee sipper? Like you will, you will just have a cup of coffee and you can work on that thing for like an hour. And so Jamie, will, she'll just be sipping and reading and sipping and reading. And, and, and I just want to get it, get, get it in as quick as possible. You know, get this thing going. Um, We've got places to be. And, and so that's kind of why she said I would just be finishing up my coffee and my Bible reading. But the thing that, that convicted me is... She was so consistent every morning to tell me the same thing. That's the first thing she would do. She would get up, go down to her coffee, go back, she would read her Bible, she would drink her coffee, and she would start her day. And it convicted me that I need need to change. I need to start putting God's truth, his promises in me first before I start engaging with what is going on in the world. And so now I I get my coffee, I sit at my table, I open the Word of God, and I just read until my coffee's done. And and I've slowly become a sipper instead of a gulper because I just get so into what I'm reading. And I don't care about my coffee intake, but it changes our minds because the Word of God is meant to give us joy. The promises of God's Word are meant to give us joy. We serve a God who is actively engaging in our life. And actively wants to be a part of our life. In Psalm 19, verse 8, it says, The precepts of the Lord are right. And hear what they do. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. And hear what it does. It enlightens the eyes. Don't we want rejoicing in our heart? Even despite what is going on in our world, we can still have rejoicing in our heart because of the word of God. Don't we want to be able to see things as they truly are? That's what enlightening the eyes means. It only comes through, guess what? The Word of God. Not ABC, not Fox, CNN, CNBC, or whatever you watch. It only comes through God's absolute truth. I'm going to read a couple of verses from your homework. What are you going to read this week? Psalm 119. Verse 111 says, Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Psalm 119, verse 162 says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. The prophet Jeremiah said, your words are found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy, a delight of my heart. God has given us the instrument and tool that we can have a joy that this world doesn't give us and even better, this world can't take from us. But it is only found in God's promises, in His Word. That's why we are to be a people of the Word of God. A.W. Tozer wrote that Christians should be the happiest people in the world and should not have to require it anywhere but in the Bible and from God above. The joy that Elizabeth had and the joy that Zachariah had wasn't because of John's birth. And we have to keep in mind, they had been praying for the birth of their own son, but their joy wasn't because John was born. It was because what God was doing. God was fulfilling the promises that he had spoken of from ages past. And then the relatives, the neighbors, when they named John, they understood this boy's going to be different. They said, for the hand of the Lord was with him. And John was going to be different because God's promises were coming to fruition through John. Zachariah's praising of God was centered on what John would do in a part of God's promises. And that's remarkable, because he's praying for a child, but when the child's finally born, the praise isn't that the child's here, the praise is that God's promises are true. I can rest in God's word. And our joy in God's word is found in Jesus Christ, the living word. You notice for John, they ask, what is he going to be? Because that's who it was for John. What is John going to be? But for Jesus, it's who he is and was and always will be. See, Zachariah understood that even though he had this son, John's identity was tied completely to who Jesus Christ was. And the same thing goes for us in living in God's promises. Our identity is not tied to our occupation. It's not tied to our family or the city we live in or whatever we do in our free time. Our, our identity is tied to who Jesus Christ is. Our purpose in life is tied to who Jesus Christ is. And the only way I can know who he is is I have to be in God's word. I have to know the promises of God. And when we do this, we see what it does. God's promises are the factor for our change. Verse 67 through 75, Zechariah is praising, he is blessing, he is thanking God. The change which is going to occur, not through his son, but through Jesus Christ, the child of promise. The prophecy, as it's spoken of there in verse 67 of Zechariah, is a form of a prophetic One commentator writes that Zachariah's words reveal the divine understanding of the relationship of John the Baptist to Jesus and their respective roles. In verses 68 through 75 are what Zechariah prophesies and praises God for. They're in the past tense. They're declaring that God's faithfulness to his covenant, his promise. Verse 76 through 79 are in the future tense, foretelling the redemption promised to Israel that is signifying the birth of John and that God is going to continue to fulfill his promises. And as we encounter prophecies... Again, think of books like in the Old Testament, Isaiah through Malachi, or maybe you go into the New Testament and look at the book of Revelation. We have to understand there's a lot of imagery in prophecies. There's a lot of things that we may not understand on this side of eternity, but there are some things if we use the Word of God, the promises of God, we can begin to understand what Zechariah is praising for. For example, the word visited in verse 68 That word "visit" would have brought images of when God stepped in to redeem his people in the book of Exodus. The visited implies this act of redemption, an act of deliverance. And so when Zachariah says he has visited and redeemed his people, he's he's bringing this image up that God is stepping in to redeem us. But he's not doing it through plagues. He's doing it through a Messiah, through a Savior. The phrase horn of salvation in verse 69 suggests the strength of a fighting animal. It's used in Psalm 132 verse 17 to speak of the successor to David. It's a Hebrew metaphor speaking of power and might and the power of salvation. Verse 69 also speaks of the house of the servant David, which again reminds us of the Davidic covenant, that Jesus, he's the Messiah we've been waiting for. The holy prophets of old in verse 70 is a reminder that God's promises from ancient times are now coming to fruition. In verse 71, it says, We are saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And that can be e- easily misinterpreted as, as a political enemy. But since no one is specified as that enemy, and the reason for the deliverance is so that we might serve him without fear, in holiness, and righteousness, in verse 74-75, through 75, it's not speaking of a spiritual, a political or physical enemy, but a spiritual enemy. It's those who hate us as God's people or those who are opposed to God's promises. The promises and the covenants and oaths in verse 72 through 73 is to bring to mind of the Abrahamic covenant. All of this is to be the factor of change in God's people. God visiting, God redeeming, God raising up a salvation, God promising and his promises being fulfilled as spoken by the prophets, and His deliverance from, are the factors of change so that we might be saved. And we might, verse 74 through 75, serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all of our days. So To accept the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ is to accept the terms of those promises, which are to lead us to change. Salvation initiates change immediately. We become sinner to saint, enemy to child. We move from an instrument of wickedness to an instrument of righteousness. We now understand we're not to conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And just think for a second about people in the Bible. I'm surprised when I ask, when, I, when you think about the Bible, what comes to mind? I didn't hear names like David or Moses or Abraham. Or I did hear Jesus. Thank you. Uh, Jan's been in Sunday school before. so. But think about the people that stepped into God's promises in Scripture. Were any of them not changed? And just think about the 12 disciples. They all had to change locations, vocations, travel plans, identity. Our Lord and Savior went through change. Philippians chapter two, verse six through7, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. If we want to know what God's word, His promises are meant to do for our life, it's meant to change us. It's meant to transform us. it's meant to sanctify us or set us apart, make us different from this world. Peter writes. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Like Zachariah spoke over his newborn son, John, our identity and purposes are completely tied and found in Jesus Christ and who he has changed us into Be. Peter goes on in verse 10 of chapter 1. Once you were not a people, but now you are what? Now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but guess what now? Now you have received mercy. And there's a point for this. Because of the change that God has begun in our salvation, Peter is led by the Spirit and says, Beloved, I urge you, because of this change, because of what God has done for you, because of the promises, you've now become aware that God has spoken over you and been fulfilling for you. As sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul and keep your conduct among the Gentiles. Now, that word Gentiles in First Peter speaks of unbelievers, people who don't know the promises of God. Keep your conduct among them honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And how can they see our good deeds? How can they be ready when Jesus Christ visits and returns to bring us home? Only if we're allowing the promises of God to change us, to transform us, to mold us more in His likeness. I'm going to turn back to Tozer. By the way, if you're looking for some summer reading, you need to pick up some A.W. Tozer. He'll, He's good. But Tozer writes, It's not whether the Bible is true. But it's whether these things are true in you and me. The Bible is not given us to satisfy our curiosity, but to sanctify our personality. There's many that if we were to go on the streets in Stratford, Springfield, wherever in the world, and ask them, what do you think of when you think of the Bible? Some people might say, well, it's an old, out-of-date book. It's irrelevant and it's boring. I don't understand it. And people say this because they don't understand that God's Word, the Holy Bible, is God's eternal promise book. Everything in here is God's promise. It's His absolute truth written down. The Bible reveals God's promises. Those spoke thousands of years ago, that they're not inactive, but they continue to remain active, even in 2020. God's promises are like the Energizer Bunny. What does the Energizer Bunny do? going and going and going that's the promises of god that's what the word of god does it keeps going and so we as god's people have a conviction that when, when i open the word of god i'm hearing god speak his promises over my life and into my heart zachariah spoke two thousand years ago that god was fulfilling his promise to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace You may watch the news and you see all this chaos going on. We have to understand the reason this world does not have peace and will never have peace is because it does not seek it in the promises of God. If we turn to politicians and authorities or anybody else other than God and His Word, we will never have the peace which surpasses all understanding. We will never have joy. It is only in His Word. Again, returning back to the prophetic language in verse 79, what Zechariah says in verse 79 is tied to the sunrise that he speaks of in verse 78. In some translations, sunrise in verse 78 is the rising sun or the rising star. It's a metaphor. It's speaking of the offspring of David, whom God was going to raise up as a righteous branch from the prophet Jeremiah. And he would execute justice and a righteousness in the land. In Psalm 35, righteousness is referred to, light and justice, as light at the noonday. Psalm 37, 6, he will bring forth your righteousness as light and your justice as noonday. The rising star would speak of the star of Jacob as prophesied in the book of Numbers. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. And through the Holy Spirit, Zechariah was given a revelation of what was occurring concerning God's spoken promises in the past, which are going to be revealed right now in the present and into the future. And this revelation was the fire for Zechariah's worship because God's promises is the fire for our praise. We worship God. We give thanks to God. We praise God. We bless God. We sing songs to God because God is always faithful always God will never lie to you and sometimes he will tell you what you don't want to hear but that's because he loves you and so that's why we can praise him what God has spoken what we have in this book will always remain true no matter what not a dot not an iota will pass until all things have been fulfilled you can't get that on the news. You can't get that on the news. I can't go to the news and watch something that, that they're reporting in the morning and it'd be the same thing in the evening. I can't even do that with the stupid weather app on my phone. You know how many times the last couple of months I've opened my weather app to see what was going to happen today, and we've changed our family plans because of what they predicted about the weather? And then we're like, wow, it's a really nice day. I'm glad we stayed home. But when I open God's word, I can know that God is going to tell me exactly what I need to hear, and I can take this to the bank every single time. It is truth. It is absolute truth. It will never change. It will never fade. My God who loves me will never lie to me. He will never mislead me. He will never forsake me. He will never tell me something that is not for my good. So I praise him and I worship him every time I did to open the scripture because we live in a country where we can have God's word. We can can read it in the morning, at lunchtime, in the evening. We can listen to it. We can watch it. Let's not forsake that freedom we have because who knows how long we'll have it. So I was thinking about this, this message I found myself humming and singing a song, and that tends to happen when I'm doing sermon prep. Like a song gets stuck in my head, and I didn't ask the worship team to sing it because uh, I'm older. We we clarify that, then we bridge it. I'm older than most of them, Um, but the song kept going. I I found myself even humming it while I was sitting at the keyboard. Do you do that, Craig? Do you ever? (laughs) Same song song over here. Song that never ends. That one. The song came to my head, it's a hymn, and and I grew up on hymns. Um and, and I, I think there are some really excellent hymns, and I, I'm excited to see some people that redo hymns and, and put them back out there. But this is the hymn that kept going through my my mind and my heart. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing, standing the promises of God. Standing on the promises, I cannot fail or fall. Listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God. Here's a promise that Jesus gives believers and unbelievers alike. We are all going to go through storms in life. We are all going to be hit with the unexpected the things we don't understand, the things we question, the things that frustrate us. But Jesus promised this everyone then who hears these words of mine, these promises of mine, and does them would be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and it beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And it founded it on the promises. Your homework this week is to read what? Good. You're all still with me. But as we close out, I want to read from a different psalm. This is Psalm 19. It's going to be up here on the screen, beginning in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple precepts of the Lord are right rejoicing the heart and the commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes the fear of the Lord is clean enduring forever and the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether more to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold sweeter also than honey and dripping from the honeycomb moreover by them is your servant warned in keeping them there is great reward Brothers and sisters of Christ, where are we standing today? What are we turning to to give us joy as we live this life? What are we turning to to ignite our worship of who God is? What are we allowing to change us? Is it God's absolute word? Is it the one source that we can turn to every time and see promises? Hear this, as I learned over the last couple months we turn to anything else to find joy, to change us, or to fuel our worship, we will only find disappointment and frustration. We can only find this in God's spoken word. And as we've accepted Jesus Christ many here this morning, we are now living in God's promise and a part of what God wants to do and promises to do before his son returns but you may be here this morning and you have yet to step into the promise of God. And so I want to speak God's promise over you. There's not a person in this room who was born perfect, sorry. (laughs) But we were all born with a sinful nature. That word sin means we missed the mark. Think of it like basketball. Remember when we used to be able to play basketball? (laughs) And you'd shoot and you'd miss everything and they would yell out air ball. That's what sin is. See, God has set his holy, perfect standard, and we whiff at it every single time when we try to do it. But God knows that about us. He knows we are sinners. He knows we fall short. He knows we deserve his wrath and his judgment. But because God loves us and has spoken his promises from the beginning of time, he sent Jesus Christ to step into this world to live a life that we couldn't. It was perfect. It was holy. It was righteous. And Jesus did that so he could die on the cross for our sins. And they placed him in a tomb, but he rose three days later. And the Bible says, the Bible says, when I believe in my heart to be true, that to be true, when I believe in the innermost parts of my being, that that is truth, that is something I can, I can rest assured on. And then I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That means I speak it. I will not only be forgiven for all of my sins, past, present, and future, but I will be given eternal salvation with God in heaven. And you may be here this morning, you're trying to do it another way, just be a good person, just do the right things, and that won't cut it before holy God. It is only through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so if you're here this morning, and if you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, that is the first promise you need to step into. You don't have to have it all figured out. You just got to know I need Jesus in this moment. If we have a time invitation, Bridget and Nick are going to come up and lead us. The song is Yes, I Will. Maybe that's the commitment we need to make to God. God, yes, I will. I will stand on your promises. I will trust your promises. I will be in your word. Maybe this morning, yes, I will accept you as my Lord and Savior. I want to pray over us real quick, and then we're going to stand and sing. I'm going to invite you to come. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us and taking care of us. Thank you, Lord, for your word that was given to us, spoken from your mouth, recorded by men that were guided by your spirit. And, Lord, thank you that we can trust you. You will never let us down. You will never fail us. Lord, let us have a conviction and a passion for that as your people. Pray for those who are here this morning who have yet to accept your, your son as their Lord and Savior, who have yet to accept the promised child. Father, your spirit would move upon their heart in such a way they just know that something is not right and it needs to change. That they would walk down these aisles and just let it be known they want to be saved. They want Jesus. So let this time of invitation be a time of response. We are not just hearers of your word, but we are doers of it. We praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you to stand. I invite you to